I cannot think of a less romantic place than the Shield Writers Room list. <laughs> you know, I hear what you're saying. How I managed to fall in love in that room, I will never know. It was but meant thank to be. goodness. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 19 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this week's episode, we talk with our favorite former boss, Sean Ryan, creator of The Shield and many other shows about how he picks projects. Yes, Sean has a pretty incredible track record. And as we're diving headfirst into development season, we want to know how he does it. And then we answer a mailroom question about being a technical consultant on a TV project. This week's gift-giving Hollywood hack comes from a listener, and we have an update that comes from a listener as well. Jamie had a couple thoughts on selfie remotes, our Hollywood hack from episode 105. She wrote, One, Sarah's selfie remotes can be used to help avoid blurry photos. As the often designated phone holder, it can be really hard to get the right angle on the photo while simultaneously holding the phone in such a way that you can reach the buttons to take the photo. The selfie remote helps alleviate that and allows for less blurry photos. Very true. Then she says, two, Liz, there is a feature on Apple Watches that allow it to be the selfie remote for your iPhone. So if you have a watch, no need to buy extra accessories. Just wanted to share. Uh, well, those are good tips. Yeah, that's I, I duly noted. You have a Apple Watch, so you could use yours yes. as a selfie remote. Yes, I and don't. I agree. I like that sort of combining one thing into two. Well, and of course, an Apple Watch has many more than two purposes. So, yeah, so we'll have to figure out how to do that with your Maximize. watch. Maximize. You can be our selfie taker. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Okay, it's time for From the Treadmill Desks Of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's development. We are being approached about a lot of different projects. There are compelling things about many of them. And deciding where to focus our time and energy is really tough. And we're not alone in this. Writers all over Hollywood are experiencing this fear of commitment right now, especially as we're tackling development season without agents. So we thought we would ask one of the people we respect most in the business, Sean Ryan. Sean is the creator of The Shield. He hired us on season four, and we were there for three seasons. We came on board at the same time as Glenn Close. <laughs> It was our most formative show experience, and that writer's room is where I met my husband, Adam. Yes. So we owe Sean personally and professionally. Yes. And since The Shield, he has created, co-created, and or executive produced many shows, including The Unit, Terriers, The Chicago Code, Last Resort, Mad Dogs, The Get Down, Timeless, and the current CBS hit SWAT. He's done okay for himself. I'd say so. Yes. Sean, Ryan, welcome. 
Welcome. Hello, listen, Sarah. It's been too long. I know. We're so excited to have you here. Finally, we keep saying, like, we're going to have you on, we're going to have you on, but we were waiting for the perfect moment, and then we really needed advice, so we thought, now, this okay. is the moment. I remember when you started the show, you teased, like, I thought maybe in the first couple months, yeah. and now you've done, like, over 100 episodes, and, <laughs> and all I can assume is that you have run out of people to speak to, yeah. and so here I am. Not the case. So, Sean... What is your secret? You pick these incredible projects that not only get made as pilots, but that get on the air and then stay on the air. How do you choose what to commit your time and your energy to? Well, you may be overstating that a little bit. I've certainly had my share of uh, failures either at pilot stage or or, or shows that only went one season. Uh, But basically, I I have two criteria for projects I want to be involved in. One is, do I love it? Do I really want to watch this personally? Because the work is too hard, as you know, to be doing something that you only feel mildly amorous of, like, this has to be your one and only, uh, this has to be the thing you love that you're excited to get up in the morning and uh, and attack each day. And then the other thing I try to do is, is this something that I don't see on TV at the moment? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want to do the fifth version of something. Uh, So sometimes that can mean something conceptually very different. Like Last Resort. Uh, Last Resort, which was a nuclear submarine show, and you know, which I was like, well, uh, there's nothing like this on TV. Or it can, or it can mean something like um, the Shield or SWAT. You know, SWAT I do now. The Shield is where we met, obviously. Uh, those were cop shows, and you see a lot of cop shows. But to me, they were different takes on cop shows. I didn't see. So, so the Shield attacked the idea of dirty, corrupt cops. Uh, SWAT, the thing that interested me about that, Aaron Thomas, who is from Kansas City, yes, like the two of you, and went to the, to the same, same high school, <laughs> he, uh, he and I knew each other, and he had a take on, on doing a, a, a show at a time when there was a lot of conflict in this country about um, African Americans and the police, and Black Lives Matter, and Blue Lives Matter, and he had a, an idea about a show with an African-American lead that had one foot in his African-American community and the other foot in his police community, and he found a way to sort of bridge it. And I thought during a, a divisive time, this was an interesting concept to attack a police show. So so in those cases, those were takes on, on a genre that was very familiar, the takes that were different. So I'm just always looking for something that I haven't seen on TV before and that I personally would watch. And Sometimes the audience agrees with me, and sometimes they, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what do you think makes, like, a successful show? Have you—or do you think it's just lightning in a bottle? Because as far as I can figure out, it's, you just have no clue. You, we keep trying to game the system. Um, and, of course, what we've learned over our career is you can't game the system. At least that's what it seems like to us. It's very difficult to game the system. Uh, and I'm I'm still trying to figure out, too. I think ultimately people are drawn to and tune in week after week to uh, – amazing characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes the characters are amazing because of the writing. Sometimes the characters are amazing because of the performance that the actor or actress uh, is giving. Sometimes it's the situation that these characters are in. Sometimes it's a combination uh, of all three. And that's where the lightning in the bottle comes. I, I, you, know, you can have something that's really well written, but have the wrong performer and it just doesn't work. 
um, and you can have the right performer but not the right scripts and it doesn't work. Uh, and it's just it's just trying to get all those elements to to match up. And, and, and the two of you know just how difficult that casting process is. Everything's shoved into like four weeks, oh, especially in the network uh, world where you and 30 other drama pilots and 30 more comedy pilots are all being cast at the same time and and you're being pressured by network and studio people to just sort of offer it to this actor that you don't know a lot about and you're not and it's it's a real uh flight of fancy it's a it's a it's 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 taking a, a chance and sometimes that chance works out sometimes it doesn't and uh it's um you know the secret is giving people characters that uh, they enjoy watching that night and say, I can't wait to see what they do next week. And I do think, and tell me if you think this, that in different political times, it feels like people want different kinds of characters. Like, it feels like right now people are really responding to good guys because they just want people they can root for, whereas, like, during the time of The Shield, people were really embracing anti-heroes. anti-heroes. Uh, yeah. I think there's some truth to that. I've heard that posited before. Uh, I think it's always dangerous as a creator to try to chase that. And, right. And to no, try for to, sure. Who knew that people wanted anti-heroes until David Chase you know, put The Sopranos yeah. on yeah. the air? Yes. Right? Uh, so, yeah, sometimes it's just in the zeitgeist. I certainly felt with SWAT and when we're in the writer's room, uh, I like the idea in this moment of time of celebrating heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, I spent seven-plus years working on The Shield. Um, I wouldn't say celebrating, but 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 showcasing anti-heroes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it was a, a different time then. Um, I think anything can work. What I'd like to think worked about both was that the execution was good in both cases. I, think, I, think I don't think that audiences refuse to watch anti-heroes right now. Uh, but uh, but I think there was a little anti-hero fatigue after a certain point. Uh, you know, right. between the Sopranos and the Shield and Breaking, and Breaking Bad. Bad, and even Mad Men, he was a he was yeah. an anti-hero of sorts. Um, the sort of white guy uh, anti-hero mm-hmm. uh, had its moment, and 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 I like that a lot of things we're seeing now uh, deviate from that. And what mistakes have you made, Sean, in in developing and choosing shows? And what are the biggest lessons you would say you've learned? Wow. Uh, I would say the biggest lesson I've learned is you have to be very, very careful who you choose to work with, Mm. whether that's uh, a writer that you're going to entrust the project with or work with, whether it's the line producer that you hire that uh, is going to be responsible for your physical production, whether it's the actors that you're choosing to um, get into business with. And and I would say early in my career, I didn't do enough due diligence early in the stage vetting of thing people. and vetting people uh, because I, I really am trying to set up a system um, that is a place of work that's very respectful um, to everyone involved. Uh, and sometimes you find out too late that you didn't hire a respectful person mm-hmm. right. <laughs> um, in, a, in a certain role. And, and suddenly the culture of the show that you thought you were tending to is slightly different than, than you would like. Um, well, we're curious because obviously we work together, so we love collaborating. And TV is, a, I mean, inherently collaborative 
uh, medium. But you have had some really successful collaborations with David Mamet on The Unit, with Ted Griffin on Terriers, um, with Eric Kripke on Timeless. Um, how do you approach work? Because you don't aren't part of a team. How do you approach working with a writer on a new show who, I mean, you may have just met them, you know, in your office a week before, and now you're creating a show together. Yeah, yeah. This week, I'm actually out pitching a new show uh, with a writer, Mer- Meredith Averill. Is oh, we know Meredith. Yeah, we know her. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, three months ago, I didn't know her. I yeah. didn't have any <laughs> idea who she was. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I would say is that I, I try to be flexible, and I love the idea. You know, I've always tried not to be so distinctive in my writing. It's, it's ironic because I think the writers that I admire most are very distinctive in their writing. You know, David Mamet, who you mentioned, I, I grew up really loving his plays and his way with dialogue was so specific. Aaron Sorkin, um, the kind of stuff he does. Uh, but even though I admire people like that, I always wanted my writing to kind of be a little unrecognizable. If I want to write mm-hmm. a thriller, I want to be able to write a thriller mm-hmm. without people. So if I want to write something a little more comedic, I want people to just sort of accept that as it is. And one way I've been able to do that is to partner up with some writers I admire and and be a little bit of a chameleon and, and try to say uh, – you know, how would they do it and can I sort of mimic them and follow them a little bit rather than trying to force them mm. to do it my way. That's uh, interesting. And so now you have to be careful. You got to look for people whose work you actually uh, admire. And uh, But nothing excites me more than when I'm working with a writer who has an idea for a scene or a thought um, or a plot twist or something that, that I wouldn't have thought of. And so just yeah. realizing your own limitations and realizing, hey, the two of us together can add up to something greater than than I would have been able to do by myself always really excites me. And then there's the other element, which is uh, – I don't want to call it uh, laziness, <laughs> but there's something really comforting knowing that, that all the work isn't falling on you and that you can share the yeah. burden of of this it's um it's a very glamorous business but it's a very difficult job like, is it is it a glamorous business <laughs> there are moments of glamour <laughs> i think for, i'm i always remind myself that it is a glamorous business you know i grew up in rockford illinois you're from the midwest too i don't know about you but i never imagined that i would have this career in this business and so the way i stay happier in hollywood is constantly reminding myself uh, that this was a dream of mine when I was in my early 20s and that that dream was far from certain from happening and that it did happen for me is a, is, is a blessing. And, and so when something goes bad or something just isn't going the way I want to go, I always just sort of take a breath and think about this is the profession I've chosen. This, you know, yes. I have to take with the bad, with the good. Yes. And a lot of times sharing that with a partner is really great, I find. Yeah, no, we find that we bounce back much faster, we feel like, because we kind of have each other to pull ourselves out of whatever bad thing might happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everyone feels, everyone I think at times feels like they can wallow in their own self pity, but they don't want their best friend or their collaborator <laughs> right. to wallow in self pity. Yeah. So, yeah, so I imagine 
from what I know of the two of you, that uh, Liz, you'd, you'd be happy to spend a week feeling really sorry for I yourself, <laughs> uh, but but you'd hate to see your best friend go through yeah. that. So yes. and vice versa, yeah. and so the two of you can yeah, yes so help each other bounce back. Yeah, um, that actually leads me to Sean Ryan Calm. Oh, we yes. talk about Sean Ryan Calm in the podcast. We try to attain Sean Ryan Calm. We fail 99% of the yes. time, but one time we attained it. Um, we actually have two differing opinions on it. Liz thought that you inside were not calm, but on the outside you appear calm. I think you actually are calm. What's going on inside you? What is it? What's the deal? There are certainly times <laughs> I am not calm inside. And like anyone, I can get angry I can get frustrated. Uh, I can get uh, upset. Um, I always endeavor, A, um, not to reveal that, I guess, um, if if that would put me uh, at a disadvantage in the situation. And, and also, I, I try to remind myself that, that I may not be right all the time. Right. Right, that that um, I'm upset about something, but I try really hard, uh, and I always and listen. I think part of this is just innate. I always felt this as like I was never someone that like enjoyed seeing my parents argue or mm-hmm. or seeing my friends have a fight. Like I was always someone that wanted everyone to get along, and as a result, I always tried to think about the other person's position in something, which I think is a natural. Um, quality to have as a writer. Yes, to have you know empathy. because when you try to write a scene, you need to see both yeah. points of view of the of the two different characters. Um, so when something happens that upsets me, which is fairly frequently, yeah. to, to, <laughs> okay, to that's be, comforting. Yeah, to, to be honest, um, I do a couple things. One is usually it's it's a, it's a situation I've you know that specifically at least is not something I've ever encountered before, and I think. Okay, well, this is an interesting puzzle now. Mm. And let me attack it like a puzzle. Like, I, I don't know if you remember, but back when we were making The Shield, I'd always be doing these, like, Sudoku puzzles yes. Yes. Um, on the table. And I always liked the symmetry of the numbers and doing everything. And, and so something happens, and I, A, I think about the other person's perspective, and then I decide, okay, well, maybe there's a compromise position here somewhere. If I think about the other person's perspective and still think they're crazy— um, then I find an opportunity when I'm a little bit calmer to express that. I would say one of the things I've learned in the last almost 20 years of, of doing this is that I'm much better now about just being honest and simple about what I think. Mm. And I, I, you know, so I had an actor recently who, you know, who I was kind of upset with. And, and rather than than engage in a in a shouting match with them, I... I just said, um, I think you're wrong, and here's why. And just sort mm-hmm. of present it very matter-of-factly and logically and and let them deal with that. And it led to a long, very calm conversation where I think we achieved some some middle ground and everything. So I, I, I am not some uh, Zen master who never— Because you appear to be. You do. That's the thing. A lot of times it's just my brain processing. I'm trying to actually listen to what is going on or I'm trying to calculate in the moment if I'm receiving bad news over the phone or something. I'm trying to think, okay, this is frustrating. This is going to cost me a couple hours of my day to try to deal with. (laughs) This is not the way I wanted it to go. 
um, so what do I do now? And I and and I always just remind myself that that's the job of a showrunner is to solve problems. Yes. Well, Sean, thank you so much for being here um, and for being such a great mentor to us. Oh, you're so it's, sweet. Well, it's great. You guys to talk made to. my life a lot easier. You were amazing writers on the show. Oh, well, I was sad when you left. It's been exciting to see you uh, have your own career and your your own shows. And uh, um, you know, I've I've sort of grown a little bit into the old man of uh, <laughs> the group, watching his quote unquote children go on <laughs> to uh, success. And uh, and and you two are amongst the. Uh, the ones I'm proudest of. Oh, well, thank you. And we'll be using your advice about choosing projects as we figure out this very chaotic development season. Indeed. <laughs> and you can find Sean on Twitter, whether he will know what you're saying or not. <laughs> you can find him on Twitter at Sean Ryan TV. And SWAT is on Wednesday nights at 10. Yes, we moved from Thursdays to Wednesdays, so we're trying to get the word out. On, right. on Wednesdays Lama. at 10 on CBS. On CBS. Yes. Coming up, a mailroom question about being a technical consultant on a TV project. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Sarah, it's time for our mailroom segment, and this email is on a subject we get asked about a lot, being a technical consultant on a TV or movie project. Yes, this is something that people are very curious about. Um, so one of our listeners, Lisa, who's a biology professor, has been doing some work as a consultant, and she wrote in with some questions. Yeah, she says, a few years back, I joined the Science and Entertainment Exchange, an office of the National Academy of Sciences that connects scientists to writers in film and TV. You may be familiar with them. Their goal and mine is to help writers to get the science right while using science to support the development of characters and move stories forward in a compelling manner. I've consulted on topics including botany, ecology, conservation biology, tropical rainforest ecology, climate change, and academic culture. I've consulted for two independent films. I'll get screen credits if they are produced, a novel published. I enjoy these relationships and this work tremendously and would like to do more as part of the continuing scholarship part of my job and perhaps as an off-ramp from academia to a different kind of career later in life. 
So here are a few questions that I have for you. When I met a person from the exchange office three years ago, I was in East Coast professional mode and wore a dress. I was way overdressed. How would you expect an ecologist to dress for meetings? Also, what are writers looking for in a science consultant? Under what conditions can a science consultant ask for a screen credit, pay, or in-kind compensation? And what's the best way to do that? Hmm. Um, Well, these are really good questions. Yes. I would say how I expect an ecologist to dress would be like <laughs> the my my like fantasy ecologist uh, is wearing like natural fibers, <laughs> linen, uh yeah, if a dress may be flowy, I don't know. This is my like, you know, stereotype of an ecologist in in suit no leather. All right. No, I I mean, I really don't have expectations. <laughs> I know. Um, you can dress however you want. I mean, you could wear anything from jeans to a suit. I think everyone would just assume you're wearing what's what ecologists, what ecologists wear. wear, and they yeah. would not question it. So totally. wear whatever you want. But if you want to wear, you know, black pants and a shirt that, you know, can never yeah. go wrong. Tot- definitely don't feel like you have to overdress no. in a sort of jobby way, no. you know, in a in- job interview way. No, absolutely. Just wear what you're comfortable in. Yes. And what we're looking for in a science consultant, um, it's someone who's going to uh, give you great information, but also not get so hung up on the details that they don't see the story. So I love what she said, that she likes using science to support moving a story forward and support characters. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really what people want. They want someone to go, well, you know, could you get a knife through the heart and still survive? Well, (laughs) <laughs> yes. You know, it's and tough. Here, are some yeah. ways. here are some ways you could. Yes. Yeah. It's like finding solutions, mm-hmm. I think, because usually the writers know sort of what they want to do. They just want to be able to have it be authentic and accurate. So if you can find a way to help them do that as opposed to just telling them what they're doing wrong, which many consultants do. Yeah. You know, they just love bashing everything the writers are doing some of the time. So I think it's good if you can really just be supportive. And it sort of depends on where in the project the writers are. Like, at the beginning of a project, the writer may just sort of want a huge dump of information that they can then kind of extract things from. Um, And that may be, like, a long conversation that results in months of silence. Yes. As the writer just sort of moles and thinks. And, you know, and also projects go nowhere. So you may yes. consult on something and then it may disappear. Yes. It could it could be someone's going to pitch a show and so they really consult with you and get all this detail. And it seems like, oh, wow, this is really going somewhere. And then they don't sell the pitch. And so yeah. they have no more need for that information. Or six months later, you might get a call saying, hey, our show got picked up. We'd love to have you be a consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, now, being a consultant, which we have mentioned on the show before, doesn't pay a lot unless you are so essential to the show um, that you, like, they can't do it without you. Like, I think if you're, I'm sure, like, Grey's Anatomy and ER, they must have had or have doctors that were really integral to the show. And and I'm sure are writers as well who are doctors. Right. And people who maybe started as consultants and then segged into being writers. Yes. But as for, like, how you can get screen credit, a I lot of that know. is just, like, the studio decides. Yeah, I mean, it? you can negotiate for it. I would think if you really want that, 
I would, from the beginning, say if it seems like you're grooving with someone and they're going to be using you on a regular basis, say, oh, I'd love to get a technical advisor credit. And you know what? It may not be that hard to get. Um, The money will probably be harder to get. Um, Right. It's an easy thing to give instead of money. Yes. And the credit, though, would come at the end of the show Mm because some credits are at the top of the show and they flash on the screen and then others are run at the end. And my guess is unless this is you're so integral to the show, they couldn't possibly do it without you. Your credit will come at the end, which is still very cool. It is. And then in terms of like who would negotiate that kind of contract, it would probably be uh, the line producer on a show Mm -hmm. once it's up and running, mm-hmm. um, or someone at the studio it would be, you know, business affairs at the studio. Yeah, and this is really just kind of an on-call position. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have to reach out to them or pursue anything because if they need you, they will reach out. And if there's no reason to reach out because they know if they need you or not. Yeah. Um, I will say it's not like... It's something you can do for fun. I think it's hard to make enough money to support yourself. Definitely. So yeah. I, I would, you know, it's it's more of a side hustle. Exactly. Okay, so up next, a caffeinated Hollywood hack, but first this break. And now it's time for this week's Hollywood hack, and it comes from a listener. This is our uh, listeners just giving us all kinds of great stuff. <laughs> I in this know. Episode. It's wonderful. Um, this hack comes from Tara. She says, I accidentally stumbled on the ability to send a Starbucks gift card via text on my phone. Game changer. My new boyfriend was starting his new job after a long weekend of moving into his new house. I felt like a cup of his specialty coffee was a little something to brighten his day. I found this option located in my iPhone text screen between the texting keyboard and the text conversation is a colorful menu of ovals. As I scrolled left to right, I noticed one of my options included the green Starbucks logo, and to my surprise, I was able to click and send him a Starbucks gift card via text that morning. To boot, there are a few options for the gift card images to celebrate the occasion. The whole transaction was billed to my iTunes account. It was a brilliant, busy Tuesday Hollywood hack for those of us that rely on caffeine. Oh my God. (laughs) You love this idea. I could not love it more. And just for fun last night, I almost sent you one. Oh, you did? Yeah, I should tell our listeners. We had a meeting yesterday, and every now and then in a meeting, Liz will just, like, turn on. Uh And, like, and I'm just like, I'm just going to sit here and let this happen. (laughs) And it was one of those meetings, and I swear to God, I almost sent you, like, a good job. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) And then I was like, no, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to send you, like. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that was your response and not just, like, will Liz stop talking already? So. No, it was glad you you enjoyed my efforts as opposed to thinking I was droning on. No, I enjoyed them very much. Anyway, now I'm feeling bad that I didn't send you one. I should have sent you one Uh, next time. Okay, and then I'll send you one when you turn on. Okay, perfect. um, But this is great because I think text people just love getting things via text as opposed to email. I don't know why, but we've you know now we can't even be bothered with emails. We have to text. Um, and it is nice. And what's nice about Starbucks is it can be five dollars. Exactly. Know, and there really are choices. Can. Like it's so easy to do. I don't know if you checked this out, but like it's so easy to do. You can choose five, ten, fifteen. I don't know. There might be other denominations also. Like it, it was just it's so cool. Yeah. So thank you, Tara, for that very uh, convenient hack. Love it. 
We should send one to Sean. He doesn't drink coffee. Oh, yeah. He's he's a Coke guy. Yeah. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And please do subscribe if you haven't already. We'd also love you to rate us and review us. It really helps new listeners find us. Thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed. Thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. And thank you to our listeners for all of your great emails and suggestions and hacks and questions. And of course, thank you to our special guest, Sean Ryan. Thank you to Sean, not just for being here today, but for hiring us all those years ago and introducing me to my husband. Thanks to Sean, I'm a mom, really. Yay. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and the new podcast from Whole30's Melissa Urban, Do The Thing. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft and Sarah is at S. Fain. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Do you remember how nervous we were the first day of The Shield? Oh, my God. I mean. It was unbearable. And I didn't have beta blockers back then. (laughs) From the Onward Project.